0: Aliens of flying sources. This is all an illusion. Please
1: part in Hey, welcome to the 38th episode of Two Riders Slinging the Egg. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissants Master by the great MC White Owl, and this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to... Whatever genre enters my mind. And today I wanted to get hardcore gritty. That's why my guest is Keldy Ortiz, the excellent crime and breaking news reporter for the record, aka the Bergen County Record, and before that, New York's Daily News. Keldy has seen it all. Murder, rape, stabbings. And today, we talk about how one approaches a day-to-day life of reporting on misery and death and nightmares brought to life. So cheer up, buttercup. Right now, on Two Writers, Sling and Yang. Okay. So Kelly, first of all, thank you. Uh thank you very much for doing this. I needed at least one Kelly. I was looking for the best <laughs> Kelly uh journalist in the country, and it turns out there's only one and it's you. I uh DM'd you a couple minutes ago before we started this, and I asked you um for the most sort of gruesome crime or incident that you've ever covered, and you responded immediately with the with two words, which is that easy, and then the link. I just really want to get right into this. The the link was to a story you wrote with the when you were at the Daily News, New York Daily News. July 20th, 2015. Long Island limousine crash victims were best pals with bright futures. Semicolon accused drunken driver pleads not guilty to DWI and basically a heartbreaking. I mean, absolutely horrifying story of these, uh, these eight women who rented a limousine. They're, they're at a birthday party. They're on their early twenties and they get hit um, by a guy in a red pickup trunk who is drinking and four of the women die. I was a cops reporter for a really brief time and I was very bad at it. Uh, you've been a cops reporter for a while and you're really, really good at it. How does that
0: story number one, how does it come to you and how do you go about it? I was actually uh, see, seeing a woman at the time and it's I remember the, I remember the incident quite clearly. So I'm just getting out the movies um, with this woman. We just went out. It came out of the movies and I get a text message from my editor. And you know, he's been sending me text messages all evening, but I just never responded because it was a movie. I forgot what the movie was. And basically we're out in Queens, uh, it's like eastern part of Queens close to Long Island. And he's like, Hey, can you go out to? Long Island. We're um, hearing that, that a couple girls got dr- got killed in a car crash in a winery in Long Island, and basically the north, the tip of Long Island. I've never been that far out. I've been to Long Island, but I've never been that far out. And I went with my date, and I'm like, hey, I think I might have to go to this. And she go- she responds, really, you're really gonna go? And I'm like, yeah, because you know he never usually calls me at this time, so it seems like it's a, it might be a big deal. So she understood. And then I go out there and this is probably about 11 o'clock and he still wants me to go out there. I'm like, all right, sure. So I get there. The scene is just basically cleared up. It's this town of Southhold. You know, there's I think there was some uh, another reporter out there doing a stand up and a radio reporter. And basically, at this point, I'm trying to get the name of the driver. Cause that's basically what else was there. I was listening on the radio. You know what was what happened. When you that's say what, radio, do you mean a police scanner? The okay. local station in New York. It's ten ten wins. So I was listening to that on the way there, and my head. I already knew I needed to get the driver. So what I ended up doing is after I went to the scene and realized there was no nothing there, I went to go to the police department. They had some names of people that we thought they were, but there was one that stu- uh, stood out. It was like Steven R- Romeo. And I was like, man, this, this can't be right. So I try to con my way with one of the cops. And, you know, I basically asked uh, one officer who's, you know, I knock, I guess it all to the South police department, I knock on the door. And, you know, I basically asked, hey, you know, is uh, this guy here, marrow? you know, he was in a crash. He's like, yeah, he's not getting out until tomorrow. I'm like, OK, that's interesting. I'm, you know, and I tell him who I was. He surprised that nobody else, you know, went out there at the time uh, to find a cell. And I was like, man, this is crazy. And that's what he was thinking as well. So we managed to get that in the paper. And immediately after that, my editor calls me. He's like, all right, great. Thanks. Um, I'm wondering if you could stay out in Long Island. And this is like July. You know, it's big summer season. Everybody's out there staying there. And I literally called about maybe a dozen hotels. Couldn't find anywhere. So I basically drove back home and ended waking up maybe five or six hours later to go out there again. And basically, again, I think maybe two or three days where basically went out there straight to try to talk to. Family, neighbors, wineries, you know, just to find out more about the, the driver, the victims, where they all went to, try to, you know, try to piece together where it was, what their day was like before this tragic situation. I don't know if you asked me why it touched, why it touched me so much, but I think it, for me, it was because like, you know, they were doing the right thing. Most of the time, you know, all the stories, the most of the crime story that I covered, some of these, uh, individuals may have seen it coming and, this one they seemed like they, they were doing the right thing they you know they got a limousine they got transportation because they knew they were gonna drink and you know they were coming back home and coming back from a long day and boom it ended so tragically and one of the girls of the, the four of them i think one of them ended up paralyzed from the waist down and it touched me so hard that like i never i try to like to usually just like not think about um stories, but this one just it just touched me for you know reasons that they were being responsible You find out the guy is going to get released the next day or or whatever. Do you
1: go to the jail to try to speak to him?
0: Yes, I did try to go to the to the jail. Uh, We were told that he's going to make a court appearance. So uh, me and um, a bunch of other reporters go there and, you know, try to see his arraignment. That was about it. And now we were all off, you know, trying to figure out uh, different ways to piece the story. Right. So it's, it's sort of an interesting situation you're in. I think we've
1: all had this in journalism where you're chasing a story and there's an excitement to it all. Like you want to track people down. You want to get people to talk about the people who died. You want to, you want to be the one who quotes whatever the grieving mother in this story. And in a weird way, it's sort of intoxicating and horrifying at the same time because these people are going, are going through the worst moments of their life. I mean, this, these people just lost their daughters. And at the same time, you're trying to get them to talk to you about their daughters. How do you do it? Do you feel conflicted about it? Is it easier than it sounds or harder than it sounds?
0: You know, it it is harder than it sounds, but I look at it as like dating, right? Like we all want to meet the opposite sex or whoever that person is. And you basically want to talk to them, you know, find out, you know, the worst that they could tell you is no. And I Mm -hmm. basically have that mindset of just trying to approach them, you know, offer my condolences. You know, I tell them, hey, I'm really sorry for your loss. We want to figure out the best way to remember this person. I feel like that's the key, to remember them. Because in these stories, we, we basically want to recognize this person, who he was. You want to honor this person and figure out the best way to capture them.
1: So I'm looking, I'm literally staring at the pictures of the four girls who died in the day or two after this happens. Stephanie Belly, do you find her parents' address and knock on their door and introduce yeah, yourself? We, How do you we liter-
0: that? I remember getting a list of addresses and we split it up between me and another colleague. And we literally knocked on doors. Family declined to talk to us. I, I waited out there for maybe hours. and You know, other reporters came and, and left. You know, I can understand, you know, if the if family tells you no, you know, you leave. But I, I just have this idea of like, you know, I feel like if you give them their space, but you stay close by they'll recognize hey this guy's trying to do a job sometimes they'll feel sorry and they'll just and they'll talk to you other times they won't and then you got the other way where you know you you have a photo you're trying to identify if this is the person you know i remember one time um in that story i tried to identify one of the girls and i went to a couple neighbors and they identified and they gave me some information about who that girl was and i remember i went to this old this one woman um, with her husband and I remember the guy just I show him the photo I tell him what the story what the story is he's like you guys are horrible why are you guys trying to write about them and we're like yes it is horrible but we want to figure out who these girls were have you ever had someone threaten to
1: punch you spit on you Get the fuck out of my face. How the fuck can you be doing
0: this? Oh, yes. There was once. I think it was what, um the, the first time I ever got a serious uh, threat. There was a case in New York. An Asian police officer shot an un, unarmed black guy in a uh, stairwell. And they indicted the cop. And they wanted me to go to where he resided in Brooklyn, New York. And I remember the editor calling me. And it's all—it's like sundown. It's like maybe like four or five o'clock. And he tells me, go out to Brooklyn. We need to talk to this guy in the pink houses. And I'm like looking. I'm like, man, even I knew this place growing up. And I'm like, man, there's no way in hell I'm going to do this. He's like, no, there's all better reason for you to get your ass out there. And don't call until you figure this out. So I remember going to the pink houses, trying to talk to somebody. And there was this one family that was just out there, you know, like really upset about the whole thing and the guy just looks at me he before i even try to get close to the family this guy just looks at me he's like hey homie i think you need to get out of here and i just look like really and i'm like man i don't think he's serious but then another guy comes up and he's and he's uh really quiet he's like hey i really think i think you should listen to the guy and that's when i knew it was serious there's been times yeah i've been threatened stuff but i feel like it's you always have to worry about the quiet person the one who said, "Hey, I think you should take heed that person's advice. I think you need to get out of here." Do you feel like you, you? Well, you must clearly you you clearly have a a a thick skin
1: that a lot of like I know a lot of journalists who just the very idea of knocking on someone's door is horrifying, and and they've never had that experience. Uh, I've knocked on a lot of doors. I always find it a nervous. <laughs> it's like nervous exciting, right? It's nervous exciting. Yeah, um, of course. Did you did you come into this gig with the thick skin you have now? Did you develop it over time? Are there things you tell yourself when you're walking up to a door? Do you just not get nervous about it? If someone starts chewing you out, does it not bother you? No, it it doesn't at all.
0: I just tell them, How do you like, do that? I, How do you have that? I, I think it's more of like when you do it for so long, for me, you just go in. Just knowing, hey, you got nothing to lose. You you have to you have to try. That's what I've I've always learned when I was at the Daily News. I had it. the editor at the time was basically, hey, don't call unless you have this, and you know it's that with with that threat, you know. So you're like, you gotta get this info. You gotta get this information, and you want to try to do the best you can. So you just charge straight ahead. Yeah, you just you just do it. You know, you don't you don't think twice. You like somebody tells you go, and you're like, all right, you gotta do it. Because if you don't, right. then someone else is going to try and you never know. Everybody's luck is different. You know, sometimes I've I've been told no. And then maybe, you know, a couple hours later, the New York Postal Center reporter and they'll get the person. I mean, that's happened so many times. I mean, I've tried to interview people in jail. I've been sent out to Rikers Island and, and you know, I've gotten denied it right by the entrance. And then I'll see I think it was like twice where, you know, a New York Post reporter came in. And to interview the same person for the same story and got the person. What are
1: the keys in your world to getting information from people? Like, I have a lot of young journalists who listen to this podcast, and I think reporting is something that tends to be lacking when you're coming up. You don't quite know how to do it. So I don't even mean as far as going through paperwork. I mean dealing with people, interacting with people, interacting with subjects. What, what would you say are the keys to extracting information that perhaps would not be, uh, you know, I'm not just talking about name, address, like getting the nitty gritty from people?
0: It's funny that I think for me, it's always about you want to understand what a person is. You know, you, you, you try to I guess for me, it's, it's different because I have had a lot of uh, crime and tragic stories. And, you know, you, you just have to, you know, get in there in their level. Like, hey, I understand what's going on. You have to I feel like you have to be a consoling person. You have to be sympathetic to what the situation is. And also, I don't feel bad to ask questions. I feel like you got to ask questions. Even if you think they may be dumb, they're probably not dumb to the subject that you're talking to, because they might like think, hey, I don't I, I never even thought of that. I remember when I worked in Texas, there was this reporter that um that sat a couple seats next to me. And she would always ask, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you thought would be interesting? And, you know, every time she would ask it, and they would always say these like interesting stuff in the story. And I was like, man, every time. And I, and I try to think of that almost every time I, I speak to someone.
1: But is your, is your, um, is there a difference between real empathy and showing empathy? And what I mean is, is it, is any of it sort of an act? You know what I mean? When you're trying to get someone to talk to you and you're showing empathy is it
0: genuine empathy or is it reporter empathy i think it's a little bit of both right i, I think it depends on the situation I, for me it's there's a lot of tragedy so you you kind of do feel bad for the person but then you know there's sometimes where somebody gets arrested um like i i remember i did a story a couple uh, a couple weeks ago where a uh, store owner of a bakery got arrested and you know i re- basically wrote the story i tried to contact him i called his uh, i even called his wife Wife didn't want to talk, and then he sends me a um, a, a message on um, Twitter. Basically, he's like, "Oh, why didn't you reach me?" And I'm like, "Hey, you were in you were in jail, so I couldn't. There was no way to reach you." And did I feel bad for the guy? I mean, you always feel bad when 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 somebody gets arrested, but you want to know what the circumstances are, and I, I think you have to show some type of empathy. I, I mean, you know, whether it's real or not. I mean, it depends on how you perform it, I guess.
1: Before we continue with Caldi Ortiz a quick word from our sponsor hey this is Jeff Perlman and I'm sitting here with my son Emmett who received a package two days ago and what was in it
0: the greatest thing ever seriously yes
1: was it a hundred million dollars in large bills
0: dad don't be ridiculous
1: was it the new Hall and Oats box set
0: dad seriously well what was it it was my brand new stitch Greg Fields number 99 Los Angeles Express jersey from 503 sports
1: whoa that's amazing the kid's right. Why? Because 503 Sports is all about throwback. We're talking USFL, we're talking World Football League, we're talking XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State. Or, put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Greg Fields Los Angeles Express jersey, well, dreams come true. The merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like Emmett Perelman and go to 503sports.com and type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your first purchase. What about when you're working, to go back to the original story, when you're working on a story about four young women who were killed in an automobile accident, is it hard to get through those stories? I mean, you're working on it for several days, so does the, is there ever a moment where the weight of the death of four women and you digging deep into it sort of just beats the shit out of you?
0: That one for me did a little bit, like I said, they were, they were my age, it did beat me a lot, like it was just like, man, I just felt bad about what was going on the whole situation but I knew somebody wanted to find out what was going on right if I didn't do it another outlet was gonna do it and I just kept reminding myself like you have to understand this is why you're doing it you are there to tell the story do you have moments when you're working on these stories
1: like maybe you've just done so many of them that you don't anymore but do you have moments When you're working on the story and you think to yourself, this woman's life is over. Like she literally doesn't exist on the planet anymore. She does not breathe. She does not think. She is gone forever. Like the harsh, insane, meaningless tragedy that took place that wiped this person off the earth. It just is so profoundly sad. And I wonder if you actually being in it feel the same sadness that someone reading your story the next day online or in a newspaper actually feels.
0: Um, you know, I, I don't cause I feel like it, once you get too involved in a story, I try to detach myself. I, I feel as though it's, it's hard to write or report a story when you're emotionally attached to it. I feel like my favorite interview trick, which isn't that much of a trick, but it's a good device
1: is, uh, start with softballs, start with three or four softballs, never lead off with the harshest question or the most uh, difficult question because you, you just, you know, you're putting up the, the barrier immediately. Are you, do you do that as well? Will you start off with questions that you actually don't don't need
0: the answers to? I think it's a little bit, I think you got to go at the hard questions right away. Because especially now, like, because you never know what other chances you are going to gonna get with the subject, you know, being, you know, whatever it is. I think you have to ask the hard questions right away. It could be the first right. and only time. You, so why am I going to ask, you know, a throwaway question? Let me just get to the point. And to your point, I, I've done that before where I've asked the softball questions when really the best stuff were at the end when you asked the, the hard-hitting questions. Well, what about this? You know, you said this thing, but, you know, uh but I saw something else. So why don't we talk about that? You know, I, I think it's just better to just go to the end. Well, like when I was covering baseball, just as an example,
1: um, and I would go into a locker room, and let's say some guy got absolutely lit up. Let's say he's a pitcher, and he gave up 10 runs in two innings and whatever. I would always start with sort of how's your arm feeling or – Something real basic just to get the So it's not quite as jarring. You know, I th- I, I thought like you could really throw a guy off. But
0: then on the other hand, in your circumstance, you might only have three minutes to talk to this guy. So you may or not have less. the time or even less. <laughs> There's times where they're going to walk some guy out of a precinct. You know, they call it in New York, they call it the perp walks. And, you know, you'll wait for I call it 10 hours of, wait, you know, it's sometimes it works out where, it's, you know, you wait there six, seven hours and a person finally comes out and you only got 10 seconds. To you even ask them a question, you know, because as they're being let out from the from the station to the present to, to the car. So wh- right. in, in that case, am I going to ask a softball question? Hell no. I'm going you know, why'd you do it? You know, why'd you do something dumb? Maybe sometimes they'll say something. You never know. Right. It's just why am I right. going to throw away a question? How does your day go? Like, do you are you in the office?
1: things come in, and you decide at that moment, do I go out, do I not go
0: out? How does it work for you? I've been at the record now for a little over a year. It's the record in New Jersey. Um, basically, we, we'll get, like, alerts and stuff. Like, they close, like, breaking news alerts. So basically, if somebody's basically listening to the scanner, it's interesting now because like in Texas, I would, we would actually listen to the scanners and now some somebody's just basically sending us these messages. So basically, me and another colleague, we would see stuff and, you know, we would determine. She'll look at one alert and she's like, oh, I think this is interesting. I'm like, ah, no, I don't think so because I feel like You have to pick and choose which are the not necessarily crazy, but what are the most captivating alerts like maybe, um, you know, a a home invasion or something like that? Like, I remember there was an alert. Somebody went inside a home and home invasion subject in bathroom. And I'm like, wait, what? This is weird. And it basically turned out with some shirtless guy Um, basically went inside a home. I think it may have been unlocked or something like that. And she basically and he basically tried to get in the bathroom with a, a woman and you know it's wow. just I, I feel like i it goes to one of those things where i think you have to pick and choose where some of the stories are and sometimes nothing sometimes there's it, nothing happens and that's when you come up with your own stories and you know i've been i've been trying to do that for the last uh couple of months because i feel like the last you know couple of years i've been just like you know i got sent out to go you know cover something somebody got shot or a fire happened you know you have to go Cover that, which is fine. I I enjoy that, but now I feel like I'm trying to develop myself more as a reporter and and writer, and you know, write these these bigger these, these bigger stories about why is there a systemic issue? Do you have to
1: develop relationships with cops? Like, do most of the cops in whatever area you're covering, if you've been there more than a year, or a good number of them know who you are, and do you have to establish a sort of reputation with them in order to have to get what you need from them?
0: Um. I think you you do have to develop some type of rapport because I imagine they're probably getting a field of uh, calls, but I feel like you should try to. I feel like for me, I've I've definitely tried to connect with a whole bunch of um, officers. Um, you know what was interesting, I guess, in New Jersey is that you know there's a lot of towns, right? So mm-hmm. I, I knew in my head I couldn't cover all of them, but I feel like what I've done. As I try to uh, look at different organizations, you know, there's so many different chapters. There's all oh, association for Hispanic officers. There's association for Black officers. I mean, and you try to connect with those people, and then they can lead you to other people. And you know, I just feel like you just gotta think of ways to, to try to meet people and, and get those. And, and get those sources. But then it's always the best. The best way to meet someone is to just show up. Right. I mean, if you show up, they'll give you they could give you information. Maybe they won't at that time. But, you know, it's the later. It's the later part. You know, if you're out there a couple of times, maybe they'll feel sorry for you. Right. Some of journalism is like, oh, it's luck. You know, you're, you're there. Right place. Right time. Uh, the guy might feel bad for you. And, you know, the, the officer might feel bad and give you his contact information. And you know that's, right. that's how it works sometimes. But I feel like you have well, to develop a rapport, some some type of rapport at some at you know at some point, especially if you're there for over a year. What are the motivation? What
1: is the motivation for a police officer talking to you?
0: Hmm. Well, I feel like now there's like this such this thing where you know police now they want to get their side of the story because I feel like a lot of times, at least for me, there's a lot of times where you get the the victim side, and I feel like police now are more willing to tell their side. They want to get it out there, especially if it's a public safety issue. I think they want to get it out there as you know, quick as possible and as accurate as possible. I, so I feel like there is a need now more than ever to get the police officer to talk to me or any other reporter. you probably dealt with a
1: gazillion police officers in your life. Right now, uh, across America, I would say cops have never had a worse <laughs> reputation. Fair, or unfair.
0: Um, I think it's a, I think it's a rude awakening now, right? I think, it you know, a lot of times there's cops that have done stuff and, you know, it's never, it's never goes report. It never goes reported. And honestly, I, I think with the last year, a couple of years now with, you know, there being video and stuff, people are holding, uh, holding cops accountable, you know, because there's right. evidence now to back up, you know, hey, this officer uh did this to me. Like an officer say, Oh, no, there isn't. And it's like, well, actually, there's video. that shows what you did. <laughs> there was a, there was a funny story. Uh, I think down in, uh, in South Jersey where a, a judge got arrested and, you know, he basically said, um, I'm an effing judge. And, um, I think I saw something where the judge said he didn't say anything. Um, he didn't say that. And I think that's when they released the dash cam footage and it proves their point that they were right. So I feel like there's more accountability now more than ever especially because there's there's video out there and i think cops want you know cops don't i think the the worst thing i've spoken with uh quite a few cops and i feel like the worst thing they they do is having a bad cop like they don't like because they it damages the reputation for all of them um you speak spanish is that a huge huge advantage for you it's helped me when i've like today um, it helped me when I was working on a story about a predominantly uh Hispanic neighborhood in uh, New Jersey where a girl died of a uh, flu-like symptoms and some people mm-hmm. um that we were talking to I noticed that they were speaking Spanish. so you know I would basically try to be Spanish and they were like, oh my God, thank you God, that you speak Spanish and I feel more comfortable. I feel like they you right. know they more uh, when you speak another language you you get them in their uh you, you get them they, they don't have their guard up. So to speak, anyway, right. you know, that you could be, you could be with them and, and talk with them and, you know, make sure that you're not, they're not saying anything wrong and you're not you, you're misquoting it for any, to any reason. It's always good to have, speak another language and especially in journalism. It's, it's helped me out so much. I mean, part of why I got into journalism because I felt like there was so, there was such an, a need to have people like me that speak another language to speak Spanish that are out there. I mean, I wanted to cover baseball. I mean, I, I feel like I, I don't know if you remember this. I think I have a, Crazy story. I think I tried to reach out to you a couple of years ago to, you know, figure out a way to get into baseball. And you know, I, I feel like a lot of people have told me like, "Oh, you gotta, you know, you build your, you hone on your craft, and you, you use your language, because <laughs> that's a, that's a big key." And fortunately, I it didn't end up covering sports. But um, yeah, I feel as though spent. I feel I feel as though for me, speaking Spanish is a huge uh, asset for me.
1: It's funny. I'm reading, um, I'm looking at headlines just from your time at the daily news because there's a, there's a listing of them. And it's like, <laughs> off duty sanitation worker busted for posing as cop DWI. Two men wounded in knife attacks in Manhattan, Queens. Two men fatally shot just minutes apart in Harlem and Brooklyn. Racially charged assault in Harlem, Delhi wasn't hate crime. This is literally an order, Kelly. Man stabbed repeatedly outside Washington Heights restaurant. Three injured after car crashes into divider and in Bronx. Cops looking for creep who robbed 82 year old women in Bronx. Man shot dead after pointing gun at cops. Teen brother and sister shot after fight breaks out in Bronx. One dead, six injured, and two car collision in the Bronx. Fordham University grad, 21, identified as hit-and-run victim. Bronx teen stabbed to death after telling robbers he had no money. And brothers, 21 and 19, arrested in fatal stabbing of Bronx men. And actually, the last one, Brooklyn perv, gropes girl 12 in Brighton Beach. And I wonder, do you ever just want a day where it's like, you you know what, Caldy, go out and write about the weather. It's 73 and sunny. Go out and write it. Like, do you ever... Are you ever like, ugh, like, I don't even know how you have faith in humanity anymore with so I, much crap on your plate every day.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I, I thought as, you, as you're reading that list, I was like, man, I didn't realize it's, uh, all doing cool. But then again, it's <laughs> the tabloids. It's like, if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, it's like, right. you know, the craziest story is sometimes the, the, the story that people want to read about. Like, it's one of those, oh my God stories. Like, I'm pretty sure all those stories you read, I'm sure any of them probably could have made a cover of a tabloid because you're like oh my god how the hell does this actually why does somebody actually do this i don't know sometimes i don't lose faith in humanity i mean sometimes people just do a lot of dumb things you know it's just sometimes the this the crime that committed are dumber than others right actually let me ask you
1: I'm, I'm looking at the one the story brooklyn perv gropes girl 12 in brighton beach and the lead is this is from 2016 so two years ago Cops released a photo Saturday of a creep they say groped a 13-year-old girl in Brooklyn and are asking the public's health identifying the suspect. Now, from a strictly, we'll just say like a Washington Post, New York Times uh, approach to these stories, number one, the headline would probably never say perv. And you would have never said of a creep they say of a creep. Is that okay? Is it just sort of what it is because it's these newspapers? Do you ever feel weird about sort of the adjectives or nouns they assign to people? Or do you kind of accept that as a part of, in a way, like the grimy, gritty world of New York, New Jersey crime reporting?
0: The tabloid, I feel like it's a its a paper where, you know, you, you, read, you sit, you read, you're like, yeah, you're thinking it, but you won't say it. And I feel like right. w- the tabloids are the ones where, you know, you're thinking it, we're going to say it because it is what it is. So would it be a tough adjustment for you to all of a sudden cover crime for the
1: Washington Post? You know, like, are you used to a certain colloquialism that comes with the job that you, I guess that you've embraced and that you're cool with.
0: No, you know, it's funny. So after I like, after my time at the daily news and you know, i I worked at a paper. Now there was a, there was a couple of times where, you know, I, I got, I felt, you know, I fell into the habit of writing that, you know, I, I tried not to, I mean, now I, I don't really write like that anymore. I don't use Mm -hmm. those those adjectives, those lovely adjectives that, uh, that (laughs) have been used to so much. You know, I think it's more about what you uh you you read now, and you know every day for me it was like reading the tabloids, you know, just to make sure you know all the story. You, uh, I, for me, I the enjoy most seeing your, your name in print, and and also reading what the other competition was writing. And since I don't really have to worry too much, I mean, I still read the, the tabloid, but since I don't, my main voice is not really covering. New York, like that, I think you know I've adjusted in a way where you know i've re- I've read other papers now you know I read The Times and the The Ledger and you know our paper you know, and i feel we don't use those words, you know I think we, the our editor would cringe if he ever saw that in a headline right I'll throw this as a final thing at you um
1: I was a cops reporter for a couple of months in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was um it was a punishment. I was being punished. I was a feature writer, and I kept screwing up everything. And my editor said, um, "You need to learn who, what, where, when, how, and why without being pizzazzy." And she put me on the cop's speed. And one day, Nashville police called. They said they wanted the newspaper to go along on a prostitution sting. And they send me, and I I wound up inside a hotel, a motel room bathroom with a bunch of cops. And the undercover female officer brings in all the um, brings in the 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 but the customers who think they're about to get laid from a prostitute. And we all jump out, me and the cops as they're busting this guy for solicitation. And this one situation, the, uh, the guy's wallet, he put the, you know, his wallets on the bed and there's a picture of his wife and kids. And he was going to pay 40 bucks for a blow job. And my lead to the story that I submitted was all John Smith wanted. All John Smith wanted was a blow job. Oh my and my, God. my editor's, my editors were horrified. Now, this is the Bible Belt. This is Nashville, Tennessee. My editors were horrified. The story never, the, the lead never ran, blah, blah, blah. Oh, of course not. In the Daily News, in the New York Post, even the Bergen record, could all John Smith wanted was a blowjob <laughs> make it?
0: I don't think that would ever make the uh, the, the record. The tabloids, yeah, most definitely, they would probably make it like that. I don't know about the actual term blowjob. I think they probably think another word but yeah, or yeah. So, yeah, basically. Yeah. They, I think they would use, I think they would probably use that. I just don't, I, I don't know if that would fly. I think it just flies in New air because you're used to it, right? I think you're, if you're used to reading a certain thing, you're used to it. But I feel like, you know, right. I, I feel that's how it works in the, in the tablet. The tablets are a lot different than a lot of uh, other places. But yeah, I mean, you know, you, you write a certain way. I, I truly think it's more if you think you're thinking it, but you won't say it. And the towel is like, you're thinking it. So we're going to say it. I'm glad that, you know, those, those papers exist. And I feel like those are great. Those are great training grounds. You know, I feel like I, I owe, you know, my, my career to, you know, the fact that I worked at a daily, you know, a daily news and, you know, got the opportunity to go cover stories. You know, think about you know ask those ask those questions that that I would have probably not thought of. I owe a lot to them, and it you know it's that with what's going on now with those with all the tabloids and you know uh, the editor I, I worked with you know was was fired and you know another person got fired. I mean it's 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 hard, but you know I feel like you know if you go to those places, you you learn the tricks of the trade, and then you go out and do a couple. You can do really great things. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of reporters. They've gone on to do great things. Let me say a final,
1: final question. You, uh, you're 30, 30, 30 years old. Yes. Um, so you, I've got 15 years on you. I always ask this of people, would you, you're talking to the 22 year old college senior, um, whatever, Queens College, you went to Queens College, kid at Queens College. He really wants to be a journalist. Um, I mean, you, you just alluded to it. You see what's going on in newspapers, magazines with layoffs and, you know, shifting. Demographics and shifting staffs and the demise of print. Do you recommend someone does it, follows your footsteps?
0: You know, I had to, th- I had to think about this uh, a-, a lot now, especially like, so after Queen's College, I, I took basically went a year off where, you know, I was basically kind of bummer around and I, I interned at the Daily News free. And I, while I was there, it dawned on me that a lot of people had a graduate degree and, you know, I didn't really know that much about journalism and you know i wanted to get into journalism and i went to grad school but i would be blunt with them telling me it is a challenge you feel but it's so rewarding i mean like i I mentioned earlier there's times where you know I've, i've gotten emails where there's been hateful emails and you know sometimes borderline racist emails but then there's times i've gotten the heartfelt thank you you know hey i i appreciate you i appreciate what you're doing i appreciate the work i mean you don't do it for the you don't do it for for the for the thank yous or the hate yous. You you do it. You want to tell. Do you want the truth to be told, whether it's uh you know bad or, or good. You know you want you want it to be you want it to
1: be told. Um, Caldi, I appreciate you doing this very much.
0: Oh, thank uh, you, you know, for having I'm, me,
1: man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I want to thank today's guest, Caldi Ortiz, for joining me on Two Riders Slinging Yang. You can follow Caldi on Twitter at Caldi Ortiz. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, king of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at www.503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Riders Slinging Yang on iTunes, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is from the amazing MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.